Welcome to Southside Community Church. Enjoy our Sunday morning message. You guys can have a seat. All right, it is Advent. That means um, it's time to celebrate Christmas. And so I was wondering if everybody could think, we're going to do group participation here. If everybody can think of their all-time favorite Christmas movie, all right, I'm going to give you five seconds, and then we're going to shout it all at the same time, and it's going to be, it's going to be great on the podcast. You're going to all hear it. All right, ready? Three, two, one. Grinch. Who said Grinch? You're right. Everyone else? Wrong. Jim Carrey, Grinch, can't beat it. Best one there is. All right. We... We are in Advent, and Advent simply just means arrival. So Advent is the, the time in the church calendar when we're celebrating um, the arrival of Jesus coming to earth. It's the, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas. Um, it's one of the best times of the year to sit back and reflect on the sovereignty and the goodness of God, because Christmas is all about every piece of the story mattering. Jesus coming to earth is a culmination of God's sovereignty working through a plethora of people. Sometimes the people were expected. Most of the time, it was people who were very unexpected. And so Christmas is all about God's sovereignty being in control and us trusting Him um, through our lives. The story surrounding Christmas is a reminder to me every single year that nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted, and I think that's the heart of this message this morning, is that nothing in your life is wasted. Jesus' birth is the the coming together of about 1,500 years of waiting and wondering. God's people went through exiles. They went through a lot of bad kings. If you've ever read Kings and Chronicles, almost every single king, his life ends with God was displeased with how he led the nation. They went through a lot of bad kings. They went through personal grumbling and sins and had to wait in the wilderness for years. They went through gaining land and losing land and gaining land again. They went through the active times of God where prophets were speaking to them regularly. And then at the end of the Old Testament leading into Matthew, they go through the silence of God, where he's quiet. And so God's people have gone through a lot of waiting and wondering. Finally, the king who was promised comes in the most unexpected way. A baby is born to a virgin teenage mother in the middle of nowhere. And part of being a Christian is believing by faith, that the Savior of the world came to a virgin teenage mother in the middle of nowhere. That peace is essential. Nothing is wasted. Our message is going to actually focus on Jesus' adoptive father, who is Joseph. Joseph. And there's a few, challenging, uh, a few challenges with teaching a Christmas message, and there's 
challenges with listening to a Christmas message, especially if you've been in a church for most of your life, because it can be repetitive. We've heard the story so many times. Tim Keller says it like this, the hardest thing about a Christmas message is going back to familiar words and familiar themes and letting them address you instead of lulling you to sleep. And so that is the challenge that we have for the next four weeks, is that the message of Christmas would challenge you, address your heart, instead of lulling you to sleep. Christmas has sentimental value and nostalgic value. And the challenge is, in the midst of celebrating the best holiday, I think it's the best holiday, rather than letting the Christmas message be another thing that you do, that you show up to because it's Christmas, it's to allow the words of God to address your heart. And so I want to just take a quick moment, a couple seconds here, and just ask God to open our hearts to his word. So let's pray again. Lord, I, I just want to pray for the next four weeks that you would open our hearts to your word in a new way, in a fresh way, even as we go back to familiar themes and familiar words that you would address our hearts fully. In your name, Jesus, amen. All right, so our passage is Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. 18 through 25. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we're going to look at Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Let's start with the significance of Joseph and who he was and why this is really a major key, a major key to the gospel and to the salvation of the world. The king that was promised all throughout the Old Testament was said to, to come from the line of David. And so um, you had to be from the line of David to be the Messiah that was prophesied all throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah 23.5, and there's plenty plenty in the Old Testament that talks about the line of David bringing forth the Messiah. Jeremiah 23.5 says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as king and deal wisely, and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And so this is a promise that all of the Israelites would have known and been accustomed to and would have um, been waiting for someone who had come from the line of David to take over as the king of their land. Now, 
Everything matters. Nothing is wasted. Jesus could only be the coming king if he was a descendant in the line of David. Only if he was a descendant in the line of David. But Jesus was conceived by the Spirit, not by a man at all. Mary, Jesus' mother, was not in the line of David. And so, obviously, we have an issue, right? The prophetic word about the Messiah could not be true about Jesus because he was conceived by the Spirit and Mary wasn't in the line of David. Here's where Joseph, the adoptive father of Jesus, plays the biggest role in the reliability of Christ this Christmas season. If you've ever read the beginning of Matthew, you have this long list of names. And that is something that can lull you to sleep. But with renewed eyes and a renewed heart, this list of names is incredible. It's absolutely incredible. Matthew begins his gospel with the genealogy account of Jesus for a specific reason because we know that Jesus must come through the line of David to be the king. You can read the entire thing on your own, but I want to read some of these names, and this is, I'm going out on a limb here because these names are tough. But I just want to kind of get you around this idea of who Joseph is and how important and significant he is to the story. It begins with Abraham, and then Isaac, and then Jacob, and then Judah, and then Perez, and then Hezron, and then Ram, and then it gets tough, Aminadab, Nashon, Salmon, Boaz, Obed, Jesse, and then David. And that's 14 generations to get to David from Abraham. And then from David, we get to Solomon. And then to save you from these names that I definitely cannot say, comes a man named Josiah, who has Jeconiah. And then uh, they have Jeconiah during their deportation of Babylon, so they lost their land. And that was 14 generations. And then in Babylon, Jeconiah had Shealtiel, who had Zerubbabel, who had Abiud, who had Eliakim, Azar, Zadok, who had Achim, who had Eliud, who had Eleazar, who had Mathan, who had Jacob, who had Joseph. And that was 14 generations. And so, 42 generations between Abraham and Joseph until the coming of the king. In verse 17, says this amazing thing. So all the generations from Abraham to David were 14, and from David to the deportation to Babylon, 14, and from the deportation of Babylon to Christ, 14 generations. And in verse 16, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. This is where the significance of Joseph truly shines through. Joseph takes Mary as his wife and becomes the adoptive father of Jesus. And this major theme in the Bible that Paul talks about all the time, in adoption... You are given every right 
as a natural born child. And so as Joseph adopts Jesus as his earthly son, Jesus is now given all the rights that would come as a natural born son of Joseph. And that means that he's given the rights to the lineage as well. That's why Matthew begins his gospel with the genealogy of Jesus because we see this incredible movement by the Spirit to get Jesus into the line of David through adoption. The incarnate God in Jesus is connected to the line of David through adoption. That symbolism is amazing. It's amazing because every single one of you who is a believer is connected to the line of David through adoption. And you are a child of God through adoption. And so, it's, it's incredible, but in simplicity, it's this. Joseph adopted the one who would adopt the world. We are all adopted children of God. And Joseph was used in an amazing way. And it, He's a pretty small character in the the grand scheme of the Bible. He actually doesn't have one word written down that he said. Now, it says that he would call him Jesus and he named him, but not one quotation from Joseph was ever written down. And yet, he plays a significant role in the coming of the King and of the salvation of the world. Nothing is wasted. Nothing is wasted. Everything matters. And so this morning, we're going to learn from three distinct areas of Joseph's life that we can see how God used him and why God used him in such a significant and special way. The first thing that we see that we can learn from is Joseph's character, who he was as a person. Verse 18 and 19. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, Before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. When the Bible calls Joseph just, when he calls him just, it's not just being a good person. Just and righteousness go together. And so Joseph was a righteous man. And when Matthew calls him just, he's saying that Joseph was himself an intimate child of God. It was the word that was most commonly used in the New Testament for someone who was saved. And so when we see that Joseph was just, it means he had been justified by the Lord. And therefore, He had an intimate relationship with the Lord. He wasn't just a good person. He was a godly person. He was right with God, and therefore, his life was led by God in all of his ways. We know, so Jesus hasn't died for anybody's sins at this point. And so there's there's this weird thing that we have to deal with and we talk about and there's questions about what happened to Old Testament heroes, Old Testament believers. How would they be saved? They were all saved by their faith. Every single one of them from the beginning of time. And so we know as Joseph 
a just man, was also saved because of his faith. And it would have been his faith, his righteousness, that led him. And so it's important to see that Joseph being truly righteous is the key that unlocks what we can learn from what he did. Because it wasn't just him being a good person who leads his character. It was his righteousness that led him. Meaning he was led by the one who gives righteousness. Paul writes in Romans, all who are children of God are led by the Spirit. And so every decision that Joseph is making, especially in the sovereignty of this story, is because he is led by the righteousness given to him by the Spirit. It's important for us to see that Joseph's character begins and ends with the fact that he was led by the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit. He would have been prepared for this moment for the entirety of his walk with God. We can see just from this passage alone that Joseph's life Joseph's life was about who he was becoming in God, not about what he was doing. Because the very first time we're introduced to him, the very first time we're introduced to him, he's given probably the hardest thing that he's ever had to go through in his life. And instead of doing the easy thing to save himself, his character leads him into the sacrifice for who he was for others. His character was formed by time spent in the presence of God. And we see his character shown brightly in the passage. He was betrothed to Mary. And and so a betrothal was a legally bound engagement. It was a marriage in almost every way, um, several ways that it wasn't. They hadn't consummated the marriage. They weren't living together. They didn't have the ceremony. But it was a legally bound contract that he would marry Mary. And he finds out that Mary's pregnant. And he knows that it's not his because they haven't consummated the marriage yet. And so he's thrown into an extremely difficult situation. He's got to decide, what is he going to do with this? He's got a tension. A tension that I think all of us would struggle with. The woman that I love has become pregnant and it's not mine. And the punishment for this crime is devastating. So what am I going to do? Joseph, his character, Joseph's character supersedes what the law said that he should do. His character takes over. Who he is was more important than what the law said he should do. When we're in difficult situations, things come up, almost always it's our character, what we have done in the background that shines through us. Who we actually are comes through in the hardest situations. And what we see is Joseph being put in the hardest situation of his life, and his character shines through. His righteousness leads him to mercy. That's who he is. A merciful human. It says that he was unwilling to put Mary to shame. It's not that he wasn't going to shame her. He was unwilling to put her to shame. No one could convince him to shame her for himself. 
He refused. Instead, he was willing to take the shame on himself. I'm sure many people would have known that Mary was, was pregnant. I mean, obviously they weren't married. And she's, you know, we just had a kid. What happens when you get pregnant is the baby grows inside of you. And so it's very apparent when you're pregnant. And Joseph was unwilling to shame her. One thing that we can learn from Joseph's character is, or a challenge I should say, are we able to lose personal status to protect someone else from public shame? That's what it means to be a believer. We are willing to lay our life down for others. Oftentimes in the world we do the opposite. We're so concerned about our public status, what we're seen as, who we're seen as, that we don't want to touch the public shame of another. Not Joseph. Who he was in Christ was more important than what the world, and I'm sure what his family thought he should do. And so we learn from Joseph's character, who's thrown in a difficult situation, and his, who he is shines through. Someone who is unwilling to put another to shame. Instead, to take the shame on himself. The next thing we learn from Joseph is his thoughtfulness. Verse 20 says this, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, telling him to take Mary as his wife because it had come from the Holy Spirit. Let's look at Joseph's response to this terrible news. As he considered these things, Joseph did not make a rash decision. He was not reactive. In fact, this type of language would show us that Joseph had a history of being a proactive thinker. He would have had this type of rhythm built into his life, being thoughtful about hard things. I'm sure that up to this point, when things were difficult, this is what he would do. He would go and he would consider what he should do. He would have had conversations with the Lord. We know this is true because the very hardest decision that he ever had to make, instead of making a quick decision, he is driven to the consideration before the Lord. He decides to consider these things first. Now how easy is it to make rushed, rash, harsh decisions? Especially when we're angry. That's my default. When I'm angry, I mean if I found out that my betrothed was pregnant and it wasn't mine, Imagine the anger. And we are so quick to make rush, rash, and harsh decisions. Not Joseph. He was a righteous man and led by the Spirit. And he had done the legwork to get exactly where he is with the Lord so that when he was presented with this difficult situation, instead of insanity, which is most of our defaults, he responds to his beloved by thoughtfulness. Christmas season can be really tough for some. And the lesson that we learn from Joseph is when we're in a difficult situation, can we be the non-anxious presence in the midst of chaos? 
Joseph was the non-anxious presence in this story. He was able to take a step back and breathe and think. And it was because his character led him to a place that was going to say, I don't want to shame this woman. I don't want her to go through that torment. And so if I make a quick decision, she probably will. I've really got to think about this. Joseph was not chaotic. He was thoughtful and slow and ready to give time and energy to see what he should do. And ultimately, he felt compassion and mercy for Mary. And so he really, really, really needed to think about it. We can learn a lot by those, that, those seven words right there. So much. In the hardest of situations, what do we do? What's our response? Are we quick to think and be thoughtful and go to the Lord? Are you quick to release the tension? That's what I usually want to do. Joseph could have gotten out of that situation so easily. So easily. But he didn't release the tension. He embraced it. And he took it to the Lord. And it's a, it's a lesson that we talk about a lot at our church. But maybe the difficult situation that you are in right now is from God. Because Joseph's most difficult situation was from God. And it was an essential piece to the story. And so instead of releasing the tension yourself, the challenge is to be thoughtful in it. Be slow. Ask God, what are you teaching me here? Most of the time, on, uh, on the other side of that hard situation, on the other side of that hard situation, we see that it was all weaved together for a particular person, purpose. The last thing that we can learn is from Joseph's obedience. His obedience. Again, he was put in the hardest situation of his life. And being led by the Lord in his righteousness, he is led to obey. Verse 24. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. When Joseph awoke, he didn't delay. He was confident that God's way was better than his way. And that is a key to obedience in our lives. When we're convinced that God's way is better than our way, obedience becomes a joy. It becomes easy, not a drag. Where we get really into trouble is when we don't obey because we trust our own way better than God. When we say, in all the different ways, that my way is better than God's way. How, obedience is the hardest thing ever. Because you're pushing against the grain. But when you have committed to trusting in God and His ways being better than your ways, obedience really becomes a joy. And I think this is a huge reason towards disobedience to God. Trusting in my way better than, that my way is better than God's way. And so we look at Joseph and we see a man who is convinced that God's ways are better than his 
And his response is immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. And we don't have time, but in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, we see that Joseph has obedience all throughout his recorded life. He didn't just stop with the obedience to take Mary as his wife. King Herod was searching for Jesus, and an angel told Joseph to move to Egypt. And so he got up immediately and moved him to Egypt. And then when Herod died, an angel told Joseph to return home. And in a warning dream, he moved his family to the district of Galilee. He didn't delay. He did it immediately. This is a piece where nothing is wasted in the Christmas story or in our lives. Because in all three cases of Joseph's obedience, Matthew records that it was done to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Verse 22 says it right there. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And so, taking Mary as his wife was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. Moving his family to Egypt was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet. And and we see in chapter 2, it says, Out of Egypt I called my son. That's a prophecy. Moving his family to Galilee was needed to fulfill what the prophet had spoken, which was that Jesus would be called a Nazarene. And so Joseph's obedience was used by God to fulfill the prophecy about the Messiah and to bolster the reliability of Jesus. And Joseph never even knew it. Nothing was wasted. And Joseph's obedience was rewarded. Every hardship, every difficulty, every tribulation that Joseph went through was for a purpose. It wasn't meaningless. How hard would it be to move your family from Israel to Egypt without a car? You know what I mean? Like, this is not easy stuff. Romans 8.28. This is a verse that you should star and you should underline and you should mark it on the, on the, uh, the tablet of your heart. Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. If you are in Christ, if you are a child of God, then every single thing that you've ever gone through is for your good. It isn't wasted. In the decision to obey God, will be rewarded with the goodness of God coming into your life no matter what. That's a promise. We see Joseph as a case study to one of the major themes in the Bible. And it's this. The best use of your life is for the sake of others. Joseph was completely selfless. He resolved to not put Mary to shame. He resolved to follow the Lord wherever it led him. He resolved to take the shame on himself in the face of scrutiny from others. He resolved to protect his family no matter what it took. Everything about Joseph's life was for the sake of others. And make no mistake about Advent, Christmas is about Jesus, God who became flesh. 
Thomas Terry says it like this, the infinite became infant, the maker became man. And that's what Christmas is all about. The inauguration of the kingdom of God coming through the king of kings. Verse 23, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The story of Joseph is significant because he was used in the coming of Emmanuel. And the story of Christmas is significant because Emmanuel has come and he's here. God is not distant. He's near. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And everything that Joseph went through was to fulfill what the prophet had spoken so that Emmanuel, God with us, could dwell among you right now. Jesus is the ultimate model for selflessness. Decreeing with the Father in heaven that he would die for the flock so that we could live. And so this Christmas, as we look at Joseph this morning, allow it to point you to Emmanuel, the most selfless king to ever live. No matter where you are, no matter what you do this Christmas season, you are never alone with God. You have Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Thank you for listening. Check out our website at southsideworcester.com.